0: You're listening to the Living Word Church podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordchurchli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. We're continuing our series called Evidence Here Today. And uh, like uh, Pat just announced, we've got this men's group going. And the first group was awesome. We had an amazing time in the first hour or so. We just did fun stuff. We played volleyball. We did spike ball and can jam and some other things and then uh, we ate, man. We ate like kings. There was ribs, there was wings, there was chips and salsa, there was manly salad and manly salad dressing. It was an amazing time, and then we heard the word, and then we worshiped, and it was just a really great time, but while we were eating, one of the cool things was I was sitting at a table with a bunch of different guys, guys that normally would never be sitting at the same table, which was really cool, and as I sat there and interacted with these guys, I realized you we were all kind of wrapping up, and so I started just picking up plates to throw them away, and my man Ricky over here was sitting with his back to me and he was talking to some people and he still had his plate with some food on it on the table and there were some ribs on this plate and there were some wings and there was some manly salad with some manly salad dressing and as I was just picking up the different plates I picked up his plate and I just decided to balance his plate on his head like because why not right and so I went ahead and did that and it, like, stayed really well. Now, I do this to people a lot. In fact, I was at my in-law's house today this afternoon. And just randomly, I was just doing this. And uh, some people were calling, out, calling me out on it, Grace. And uh, so just, just this, this habit I have, I didn't realize how often I do this. But here at this 440 Men Gathering, Ricky didn't realize what I placed on his head. You know, I, in my head, I, knew, I, I thought he knew what I placed on his head because I placed it there, you know. And, and so he thought I put, like, a ball or, like, something else on his head. And so he just kind of went like that. And everything went all over him and all over the floor. He's got salad dressing. He's got barbecue stuff. He's got uh, rib, rib sauce all over him. And so we scrubbed the floor, and we clean. Uh, you know, he cleans himself up. And, and I heard somebody later in the night go, uh, you have some barbecue sauce on your leg? He's like, yeah, talk to Pastor Doug about that. Man, I'll tell you, though, like, we, we did our best to clean everything up, but there was still evidence on Ricky, wasn't there? And, you know, I think about the gospel, and I think about uh, the evidence that we have to support what Jesus did for us. And I think about the fact that people have been trying to wipe out that evidence for decades, for centuries, for for thousands of years actually. People have been doing what they can to shut this message up, to shut it down, to to, uh, stop the message of Jesus from spreading, but here we are in 2021 with all this incredible evidence. We get to celebrate what Jesus has done and we get to talk about why we know that it's true. And so here in this series, that's exactly what we're doing, and the way we've been exploring this and explaining it is I want you to think about the evidence of Jesus and his resurrection kind of like a chair. And if you've been around, you know what we've been doing. We've been saying that sort of like a chair is made up of different pieces, and as the pieces all come together, you feel more and more confident to sit down in it and trust it. The same is true with our faith in Jesus. The more pieces we bring together, the more you and I can sit back and go, okay, this can support me. This can carry me. And when one piece of our faith might be a little bit challenged, maybe we've prayed and asked God for something, and he did it, and then a few years go by, we pray for something else, and we don't get it, and our faith is challenged. Or somebody brings up a good argument about About our faith or says something about the first century or prophecy, you know, one of the pieces of the chair might get a little bit challenged for a little bit. It's still legit. It's still the real thing. As you search it out, you're going to find the truth. But while you're searching it out, your faith isn't isn't completely destroyed. You're not completely thrown off of what you've always believed or maybe even just recently come to believe. And so here, let me just put the chair together for you so far. So we kind of have our foundation of the, the evidence points to God. We saw that in week one that the evidence points to God when it comes to why we're here, when it comes to origin of life and quality of life, the evidence points to God. The natural explanation just doesn't cut it. And then in week two, We talked about the fact that truth and power are found in Jesus alone. When we look at all the hinge events in each of these religions and we see Jesus, he completely stands apart. Truth and power are found in him alone. Then last week, we kind of talked about this this idea that sometimes it feels like the first part of the Bible and the second part of the Bible don't quite tell the same story. It feels like maybe God was one way in one part and another way in a different part. And what we saw last week is that this theme, this idea of sacrifice and substitution... Of Jesus in our place is the story of the entire Bible from the first verse to the last it's all that story of God being so gracious and good to us now today we're gonna look at the fourth piece of the chair today we're gonna look at another powerful piece here and I think this is so important for us to do in this time because you and I have just walked through so much we're going through so much difficulty last night I was just reading through some of my my journaling I don't do a ton of journaling but I've kind of gotten more and more into it lately And I I looked at the last 16 months or so, and I was just like floored at how much I'd written down that was just so painful. It was just so difficult. And I'm sure you're with me. A lot of you guys, whether you journal or not, if you were to look over the last several months and this last year and a half of your life, you you would see just a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty peppered in, you know. And I think that as we think about that, we have to recognize, man, we need something that can truly carry us through those hard times. You know, I'm blessed to know many of you guys on a personal level, call your friends and, and to do life with you. And I know many of your stories. And, and some of you are like, Doug, forget the last 16 months, man. I've gone through so much my whole life. I've gone through so much that is just debilitating or hard. I've had to overcome and, and it just feels like so much. And, and what I need you to know tonight is not just that we're aiming at our heads here. We are aiming at our heads a lot in this series. I want you to know stuff, learn stuff, and understand stuff but I also want your heart to be encouraged. I want you to know that in the midst of all that we go through, we have a God who is inviting us deeper to come closer, to come nearer to him. We have a God who is holding out peace and joy and satisfaction to us, and all of that depends on whether he's alive or not. All of that is true because Jesus rose from the dead, and I want you and I to be convinced of that. I hope also, in this series, you're kinda getting equipped to share with others. You know, I've had some people tell me during this series, I'm so glad we're doing this series not because I need this so much, but because I need to be able to share this with others who need this. I feel like I'm more equipped to be able to share my faith or maybe answer an objection. And so let me just ask you a question. Who in your life needs to hear this? Who do you need to invite next week? I guarantee you service will be more exciting when your neighbor or your friend from school is sitting next to you. You know, who could we be inviting next week? Who could we be sharing the stream with? Who could we maybe even forget forget, you know, bringing them here, just just you sharing your faith. Think about some people in your life as we're doing this series here. I think that'll be really important. But today we're going to talk about this fourth piece of the chair. Everybody say prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy. prophecy. All right, what is prophecy? Prophecy is a message from God. And in the scriptures, sometimes if you've read around or, or you've been here in church a bit, you've seen times where God would just tell someone to tell somebody else something, right? There was a message. It was a, a message from God. And, and sometimes it would be like he would say, hey, you know, I want you to go tell this king this message. or I want you to go tell that person this message. And that, that's prophecy. But oftentimes in scripture, what we see when we talk about prophecy is a message from God that's actually about the future, So it's not just about here and now, and that's the kind of prophecy we're going to talk about today, prophecy that was given way before it ever happened, prophecy that would give a heads up as to what was to come and what Jesus would come and do. So every Friday, our staff comes, our team comes, and we come into this room and we, we, we set up this space, and we get our kids' men space ready, and, and all these curtains and chairs and everything that we have to undo tonight. Thanks for staying and helping later, by the way. And so, all of that stuff, and as, we were, we're, as we're in here, we're always interacting with the business people. There's business offices all down this wing, and the way that all those people get to their cars is they walk right through here, and so we're setting up like normal, and this poor lady who works in the office comes walking through, and she's kinda going slow, and she's just staring at her phone. You know when you're just lost in your phone? And she's coming through here lost in her phone. And all of a sudden my man Joe, who was getting some stuff from backstage, just like slowly and very normally walked out of this door. And when he came out the door and she came just within a few feet of him, she screamed, oh gosh! And Joe was like, sorry? And we all looked like I was ready, I was expecting to see this lady like laying on the floor, like they ran into each other. She just got freaked out. Now we think it would be funny if maybe next week Joe jumps out like a gorilla costume on the same lady. I don't know. We'll see probably not a great idea. But you know, here's a woman who needed a heads up. She needed to know what was ahead, what was coming. And that's what prophecy is. It's this thing that God has given us that is this heads up. It is this, here's what I'm going to do. Here's keep your eyes out. I'm going to do something. And for all of us, God gave us prophecy so that we could look ahead and we could see Jesus was coming. Now, for you and I, we're on the other side of it, right? We look back at what's happened. But in this time, in the times we're going to read about today, God was just showing mankind, I'm up to something powerful. And if you are here tonight, I want you to think about this for a minute. I want to aim at your heart for a second. If you're here tonight and you are thinking, man, I've just got stuff going on in my life that seems such a mess. Like there's this area of my life, maybe it's a sin struggle. seems such a mess. Maybe it's a relationship. seems such a mess. My relationship with God just seems like such a mess. You know, I don't know what it is for you, but I want to let you know God is a God of details. Everybody say God's a God of details. And so you're going to see tonight how much God is a God of details. And if God is a God of details when it comes to his plan of salvation and sending Jesus for you and me, then you and I can know that with the stuff we've got going on in our lives, he is still that same God of details, the one that can come through, the one that can meet the need, that can uh, strengthen us in the hardship, that can bring comfort to our soul, that can bring friendship and love into our life. He is the God of details. And we're gonna see that here tonight in a powerful way as we talk about this piece of the evidence. Now we're gonna see the prophecies themselves, okay, we're gonna look back to um, about a thousand years before Jesus came and then 750 years before Jesus came, and then we're gonna fast forward to the eyewitness accounts of when Jesus had come, guys like Matthew and John telling us, this is what I saw Jesus do and here's how it played out. It's so important that we talk about both the prophecies and the fulfillment of the prophecies, because if anybody can say something will happen That's a prophecy, but it really matters if it happens or not, right? Like, that's super important, so we're going to see the fulfillment side of those prophecies as well. And I want you to think about how powerful this is. You see, in the Bible, we don't have 10 or 20 or 30 prophecies about Jesus. We have so many, we're not even going to come close to getting to them all here tonight, Something truly supernatural and miraculous happened when God spoke to guys like David and Isaiah and Micah in the Old Testament and spoke to them and said, here's the heads up. Here's what Jesus is going to come and do. So to, to kind of understand how a big a deal this is, I want you to imagine that in the year 1021, 1,000 years ago, somebody had prophesied, oh, I don't know, like maybe eight different details about the world we're living in today. Maybe one of the prophecies would be in the year 2021, this strange haircut would come back. It's, it's when they wear the hair short on the top and long in the back called the? Yes, the mullet's back, everybody. Did you know that? And, and let's say the person doing the prophecy gave these details that, you know, this, this haircut didn't originate in 2021, but in the greatest time period in all of human history, the 80s, and it somehow resurfaced. It somehow came back. Somebody thought it'd be a good idea to bring this horrific style back, right? Now, I can't be too hard on the mullet because back in the day, I will admit there is some photographic proof that I actually had a mullet. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And it didn't just last one year. Fortunately, it won at least two. So there's two school pictures for you of that. Okay? Now imagine maybe another prophecy would be something like this. And Can we just hear it for all the Mets fans crying right now in, in the world? Yeah. Do you know that the Mets set a record this year? But it's such a Mets record because it's a bad record. They set a record. The record is this. They spent the most time in first place for a team that ended up Winning less than 500 games. Let's hear it from the Mets, everybody. Yes, thank you so much. Can you imagine if somebody a thousand years ago had prophesied that would happen in our day? Can you imagine if a thousand years ago somebody prophesied that we would be going to space? Now, that would blow people's minds in the first, you know, the first, this idea of like, what? But in our lifetimes, like, that's kind of obvious because we've lived it and seen it. But but what if they got so specific as to say, oh, it's not just the normal people like the NASA people who go to space. There's this whole new category of people that get to go. They're called billionaires, right? They get to go to space now, too. What if another prophecy was about Barney the Bull? Who, Who knows who Barney the Bull is? Anybody remember? Did you hear about this? I somehow missed this, or maybe because I was in a coma in the hospital, I don't know, but I I somehow missed this. Barney the bull was running around streets of Long Island for 67 days this past year. He escaped from a slaughterhouse, and people were catching him on the ring, but nobody could actually find him. A 1,500-pound bull just running around tormenting the streets of Long Island. He has been caught, everybody. Do not worry. But imagine that. That's like eight or so prophecies I just shared, okay? Can you imagine that not just eight, not just 18, not, no, 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 so many prophecies in the Word of God, we can't even come close to getting to them all. And you know, math professor Peter Stoner calculated that the odds of a person fulfilling eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power, just eight of them. We have so many more Now as I struggled in my faith decades ago, I asked a couple questions. I asked some questions about the prophecies. One of the questions I asked was, how do we know that after Jesus lived, that David and Isaiah, like these, these books that had been written, how do we know that after Jesus lived and, and fulfilled these prophecies that Matthew and Peter and John didn't like go back and tamper with those books and you know the Psalms and Isaiah and write in these different things saying they were prophecies? Like what if they were trying to sell this religion and so they saw what Jesus did and they went back and added some stuff in, oh he's going to be born here and he's going to die like this and Like, how do we know that didn't happen? Well, we're going to see the answer to that in just a minute. And the second question I asked was, if the prophecies were already written, if they were already there and they were legitimate, then how do we know that Jesus didn't just come and try to fulfill them all, to fool us and make us think that he's really the Messiah? And so we're going to see the answers to this here tonight. And and we're going to start with that first question. That first question was, how do we know the prophecies were there before Jesus came? Everybody say Septuagint. Alright, so as I researched this and looked into this, I discovered that in 250 BC, before Christ, before Jesus came, there was a translation of the Old Testament from the Hebrew to the Greek called the Septuagint. So in 250 BC, we know that David's writings were there that Isaiah's writings were there, that Micah's writings were there, and not only were they there, they were translated and copied from one language into another. So no, nobody came and tampered with the Old Testament writings to try to make it look like Jesus was this Messiah. No, he really was this Messiah. Now let's look at some of the prophecies and some of the fulfillments, okay? We're going to start out with David's prophecies, written in 1000 B.C., Matthew and John are going to be the eyewitnesses to tell us if these things happened or not. So look at Psalm 22, 1 up on the screen with me. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So here we have these words. Those are famous words. Some of you guys recognize these words, even if you've only been coming to church for a little while. Fast forward now a thousand years to Matthew 27, 46. It says about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? He spoke the exact words. Now, where was Jesus when he spoke these words? He's on the cross. So think about this for a second. Remember my second question? What if Jesus was trying to make it look like he really was the Messiah, even if maybe he wasn't? Think about it. What lengths he would have gone to. He's hanging on a cross saying this line right? And so if he was trying to make us think he's something he's not, then he just got himself crucified for it. And from the cross, he's pretending to to say these words, no, 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 no. this really happened because he was really the Messiah. He was really the Savior. This wasn't something Jesus was trying to do, right? You don't die for what you know is a lie. Jesus wasn't on the cross saying, "Uh, let me say that line from Psalm 22 now because then I'll fool everybody into thinking I'm the Messiah." No, he really was the Messiah. You don't die for what you know is a lie. You don't go through pain when you are lying just to continue the the lie. When, When it gets to a certain level, you give up and you speak truth. You know, as a parent, my kids sometimes, I feel like I'm not getting the whole truth. As a kid, I'm sure my parents thought the same thing. And parents, we we, we start to, you know, threaten our kids a little bit. Like, if you don't tell me the truth, I'm taking your phone away for the rest of the day. Uh, You you can't go to your friend's house. And when that doesn't work, we get a little crazy as parents. You can't have your phone for the next month, right? You get a little nutty. No friends till Jesus returns. Like, like you get a little, and then it gets really crazy. It's like, I'm selling your spleen on the black market. Like it's, that one always works, by the way. Future parents in the room. Like, no, but, but of course, as the, as the threats get worse, they eventually tell the truth because they don't want to pay that price. They don't want to not see their friends till Jesus comes back. They don't want to lose their phone for a month. And Jesus, when he was threatened with arresting, don't you think if he's making this stuff up, he's giving himself up right then. Just kidding, I'm not really the Messiah. I I had a good thing going, but I'm not willing to get arrested over this. And then when they started to beat him and spit on him and pull out his beard, don't you think he would have said, no, 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 I'm not really. Uh, Okay, I'm giving myself up. And when they then nail him to a cross, don't you think at that point he's saying, okay, this was all a scheme. No, no, no. He went through with it. Why? Because he was really and is really the Messiah, the Savior, the one who came to rescue you and me. Psalm 22, 6, let's look back. Again, a thousand years before Jesus came, it says, Yet I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned by humanity and despised by people. All who see me make fun of me. Insults pour from their mouths. And so we get this picture painted by David that the Messiah would be insulted and made fun of. Look at Matthew 27, 6. Remember, Matthew's an eyewitness. Matthew would die for his faith, saying he saw all this. He says, but he had Jesus whipped and handed over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the palace and gathered the whole troop around him. They took off his clothes and put a bright red cape on him. Can we just picture this and just just see Jesus going through this suffering for us? They twisted some thorns into a crown, placed it on his head, and put a stick in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and made fun of him by saying, long live the king of the Jews. After they had spit on him, they took the stick and kept hitting him on the head with it. If Jesus isn't God, think about it. How is he controlling this crowd to do exactly what the prophecy said they would do? Like Things are happening to Jesus now he can't control. Yeah, he can say from the, from the cross why have you forsaken me? That's within his power. But he can't make a crowd of people beat him and make fun of him like the prophecy said would happen. Let's go on. They shake their heads and say, put yourself in the Lord's hands. Let the Lord save him. Let God rescue him since he is pleased with him. And so we have more of this idea of just more mocking and making fun of. And, and look what it says in Matthew 27, 39. Those who passed by insulted him. They shook their heads and said, you were going to tear down God's temple and build it again in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests together with the scribes and the leaders made fun of him in the same way. They said he saved others, but he can't save himself. So he's Israel's king. Let him come down from the cross now and we'll believe him. He trusted God. Let God rescue him now if he wants. After all, this man said, I am the son of God. So we have this mocking going on. We have those that are are literally saying the exact things that David said that they would say. What what God showed David would happen a thousand years later. Matthew was now an eyewitness, saying, "Oh no, this is exactly how it happened." Psalm twenty two eleven. Do not be so far from me; the trouble is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls have surrounded me; strong bulls from Bashan have encircled me. They have opened their mouths to attack me like ferocious roaring lions. So David paints this picture of this mob, this crowd that have come around him, and 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 will will come after the Messiah. Matthew 27, 22. here's the eyewitness account. Read it with me. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with Jesus who's called Christ? He should be crucified, they all said. Pilate asked why, what has he done? But they began to shout loudly, he should be crucified. Pilate saw that he was not getting anywhere. Instead, a riot was breaking out. So Pilate took some water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. He said, I won't be guilty of killing this man. Do what you want. All the people answered, the responsibility for killing him will rest on us and our children. Again, this picture is lining up with exactly what David had seen, what God had showed him. And let me just take a minute to say, like, if you're sitting here saying, oh yeah, well, it kind of makes sense because that's what the Messiah would do. You know, the Jews of Jesus' day didn't think Jesus was going to come as one who would give his life for sin. They all thought he was coming as a political leader to, to rescue them from the rule of the Romans. And so if Jesus was trying in his day to look like the Messiah the people were expecting, he would have gotten into politics, not gotten on a cross. And so this is a really different understanding, but it's exactly what the scripture said would happen. Psalm 22, 14 says this, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. It's a historical fact if you study crucifixion, that crucifixion pulls the bones out of the joint. It's what it does to you physically while you're on the cross. This is a really important verse. Psalm 22, verse 15, you lay lay me down in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A mob has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Everybody say pierce my hands and feet. That's really important, because when David wrote these words, crucifixion didn't exist. Crucifixion, it wasn't invented yet. It wasn't invented for hundreds of years after David's death as a form of execution for anybody. So when David is writing this, people reading it would have been like, what do you mean you pierce your hands and feet? What does that even mean? Now, you and I understand what the cross looked like. And so for us, as soon as we see pierce my hands and feet, we think of Jesus hanging on the cross. But this was would have been so foreign to anybody of that day. It's not like David would have just obviously known this is how they would execute somebody. It wasn't invented yet. You know, on on, uh, August 6, 1945, an American B-29 bomber dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and 80,000 people died just in a moment and then many more would die in the years to come. But I want you to imagine a thousand years before that happened, someone prophesying that there would be this some, some a weapon that would do just that and would, would, would um, be dropped in that way, and this would be the amount of people, and this is how they would die. Like, like imagine the details of that prophecy. A thousand years before anyone could fathom what an atomic bomb would look like. And that's exactly what we have with the cross. A thousand years before, here's David saying. They're gonna pierce his hands and feet. Look at what it says in John 19, 16. It perfectly describes that Jesus was crucified. It says, then Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified, so the soldiers took Jesus. He carried his own cross and went out of the city to a location called the skull. In Hebrew, this place is called Golgotha. The soldiers crucified Jesus and two other men there. This next one's interesting. Psalm 22:18 18 says, They divide my clothes among themselves. They throw dice for my clothing. Okay, think about how specific that is. They're saying that, he's saying that at the crucifixion scene, that soldiers were going to take Jesus' clothes, divide them up, and throw dice for them. Like, that's so specific. Look at what it says in John 19, 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes divided them four ways so that each soldier could have a share. His robe was left over. It didn't have a seam because it had been woven in one piece from top to bottom. The soldiers said to each other, let's not rip it apart. Let's throw dice to see who will get it. In this way, the scripture came true. They divided my clothes among themselves. They threw dice from my clothing. So that's what the soldiers did. Again, Jesus has no ability to manipulate this right? Jesus was not on the cross looking down at the soldier saying, hey guys, I'm trying to pull off this whole Messiah thing. If there's any chance you could just take my clothes and just throw some dice for them, that would really help me out here. No, this happened because Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Savior and the rescuer of the world. We're going to look at just a couple verses in Isaiah now. And what's cool about Isaiah is kind of like Psalm 22, it presents what happened to Jesus so clearly that you would think it was written by somebody who was just standing there at the cross. You know, somebody once took Isaiah 53, and they took the word Isaiah out, and, and they, they photocopied it and just gave it out to friends in their, in their secular office place and just said, who do you think this is about? And every single one of them said, it's about Jesus. And, and people thought it was literally like one of the Gospels, like in Matthew or, or John. But let's read in Isaiah 53. This was written 750 years before Jesus came. In verse 6, it says, We have all strayed like sheep. Each one of us has turned to go his own way, and the Lord has laid all our sins on him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you know tonight that Jesus had all your sins laid on on him. All of your sins. Every single one. See, sometimes we think, okay, I'm going to become a better person or a Christian or I'm going to be religious, and when I do that, I'll... Get closer to God somehow. No, I want you to know, like we sung just a little while ago, Jesus paid it all. All our sins were laid on him to rescue us and give us forgiveness. Look what Paul would say 750 years later in Romans 6. The payment for sin is death, but the gift that God freely gives is everlasting life found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you guys see this message From the old testament coming true in the new testament you see the fulfillment here look what it says in verse 7 he was abused and punished but he didn't open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter he was like a sheep that is silent when its wool is cut off he didn't open his mouth now some of you guys are like why is isaiah talking in the past tense like this already happened and we've talked about this a lot here Because often in the scriptures, a prophet would prophesy using past language, like it already happened because he was so sure that God was going to come through on this, that he spoke about it as if he already had. But look at how this comes true. Look at Matthew 27. Jesus stood in front of the governor, Pilate. The governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, I am, Jesus answered. When the chief priests and leaders were accusing him, he said, nothing, Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear how many charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said absolutely nothing to him in reply. So the governor was very surprised. And so Isaiah says he'll stand silent before his accusers. And Matthew says that's exactly what he did. Isaiah 53, 9, he was placed in a tomb with the wicked. He was put there with the rich. Everybody say rich. Rich. When he died, although he had done nothing violent, had never spoken a lie. Another thing Jesus would have no control over. You know, he was executed as a criminal. He didn't get to choose where he would be buried. And so as he's executed as a criminal, you know, we hear that he is then put in a rich man's tomb. Look at what happens in Matthew 27, 57. In the evening, a rich man named Joseph arrived. He was from the city of Arimathea and had become a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Then he laid it in his own new tomb, which had been cut in a rock. After rolling a large stone against the door of the tomb, he went away, buried in a rich man's tomb. Again, Jesus would have no ability to manipulate that after he was already crucified. I want to do something now. Our last verses we're going to look at tonight. I want us to jump forward into Jesus' day. Do you know that Jesus prophesied his own death and resurrection? Look what it says in Matthew 17:22. It says, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man, he's talking about himself, that's a nickname for himself, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, they will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life, and the disciples were filled with grief. Isn't that interesting? He just told them, hey, I'm going to be killed, but on the third day, watch, I'm coming back, I'm going to be raised to life, but somehow they missed that whole raised to life part, and all they heard was that he would be killed, you know, somebody once talked about how the disciples, man, they didn't, they didn't even believe Jesus was coming back before he came back. You know, one pastor kind of joked about it like this. He said, it's not like they were standing outside the tomb with like a resurrection cake counting down. Five, four, three, you know, like they didn't expect that Jesus would come back like he said he would, but he prophesied his own death and resurrection. And now let's look at the account, Matthew 28, the last verses we're going to look at tonight. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Some were still skeptical. Some were still like, wait, 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 he was crucified. How could this be? But then look at this. Then Jesus came to them and said, you see, this interaction with Jesus changed everything. We talked before that he made breakfast for them, and he conversed with them, and Thomas would touch the nail holes in his hands, right? This wasn't like an illusion or a mirage This was really Jesus. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Are you seeing, as we just do a quick tour through some of these prophecies tonight, how what was said, thousand years, 750 years before Jesus came would then be lived out. Jesus walked it out. I hope you're seeing tonight the fourth piece of our chair is that prophecy. Prophecy is powerful evidence that Jesus died and rose again. That's so important for you and me. That's a a huge part of the history and and kind of the theology of what God's done for us. This prophecy and the fulfillment of it is such a huge deal. And, you know, I want to encourage you on a personal level. We learned some stuff tonight, I hope. We got some stuff in our heads. But let's talk about our hearts for a minute. You know, years ago when I was struggling with my doubt, God just was so faithful to put the right person in my life at the right time, to put the right website in my path at the right time, the right person to come pray for me at the right time, the right person to have a conversation encourage my faith, the right book at the right time so that my faith could come alive, that I could see that he was really alive that he had risen from the dead and you know I just want to encourage you because I've been saying tonight God's a God of details that as he's this God of details he's going to do the same for you he's going to put the right people in your path at the right time he's going to direct your step he's going to deepen your faith he's going to do what needs to be done in your heart so that you can get closer to him and he's going to keep on carrying you through all that you go all that you go through It's a painful world, man. Again, I know a lot of your stories. I'm so thankful I get to walk through life with you. But I know there's people in this room, man, I've lost loved ones recently. There's people in the room that are just really going through some really deep, difficult stuff. And it's really hard to navigate that. And I understand that you and I sometimes just feel like there are so many messes. In our lives. I have a friend who says that God takes the mess and turns it into a message, right? He, he takes that thing in our life that's all upside down and he, and he does what only He can do in redeeming that stuff and using it. And I see that for you guys, I see that for, for your situations and the things that you're walking through. Sometimes I can see it easier for you than I can see it for me. I can look at you and root you on and say, oh, no, 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 God's going to be so faithful to you. He's going to carry you. He's going to come through. He's going to do what he needs to do in your story. You know, I, uh, I think about this last season, You know, and I, I think that never in my life before have I had a season where I, I could feel more overwhelmed and anxious. But I, I have to tell you, God's been doing something so special in this season. He just keeps calling me deeper in to who he is, closer to himself. He keeps on just saying, come nearer, Doug. Come closer. Don't don't let your heart get hard. Don't let it get angry. Don't let it become indifferent. Just keep coming closer. And I think in life, often we really try to look to certain things to like satisfy us you know like there might be some things that you're thinking about like for this week like that you're excited about looking forward to and there's nothing wrong with that but you know what's crazy when the thing that you look forward to is being closer to Jesus like that's the thing you have this week because sometimes the ups and downs of life don't allow for a ton of things to look forward to but you have Jesus you have him calling you nearer and closer and you have that opportunity, you have that invitation this week to come closer to him, to come nearer to him. My kids and my sister's family went to see the great theologians, uh, Dude Perfect, last night at Nassau Coliseum. It was actually really fun. And uh, if you don't know who they are, there's, there are these YouTubers with like a gazillion followers and they do all these trick shots and stuff and it was really fun and entertaining but what none of us expected was you know it was probably 10,000 people in the stadium and, and at the end of it one of the guys came out and he just said hey uh, the show's over but before you guys go I just want to let you know if anybody wants to stick around I'd love to come back out in just a minute and tell you about Jesus and why he's the most important thing in all of our lives and I would guess about 4,000 people up at 6,000 or so stayed. And he just came out, he just looked us in the eyes, just spoke for a few minutes, but he just said, you know, me and my friends, we have, like, lived without our wildest dreams. Like, we're touring the nation doing trick shots, you know, making millions of dollars. He didn't say those words, but I'm sure he is. And he's saying, you know, we have on, like, a, a natural level everything the world could possibly offer us. And he said, but all of that pales in comparison to the joy and the satisfaction that we find in Jesus. And that's exactly it, man. That's what we need to know and be confident of in this hour, that this risen Savior can be trusted, that he's a God of details and he carries us through all the ups and downs and the hardships of our lives, that he can be trusted and he invites you and me deeper. That's why this resurrection stuff matters so much. Not just so that we have head knowledge, but so that you and I can say, I want to go deeper, I want to come closer, I want to come nearer. Because that's where healing is, and that's where joy and peace and satisfaction are. And guys, listen to me. All that stuff is going to be challenged in this life. I think sometimes we think as a follower of Jesus just means I'm always going to just have peaceful days. I'm always going to have 100% joy. There's not going to be anything trying to knock that out of me. Oh, no, every second of every day there's stuff trying to knock that stuff out of us. But you and I are invited deeper and closer, and that's where joy is. That's where peace and healing, satisfaction and grace and forgiveness is. And so I pray that as we talk about some theology and some apologetics like we're doing in this series, that it's taking us deeper. It's bringing us closer to who our Savior really is. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to put your trust in him. We saw a bunch of people put their trust in Jesus for the first time at the services this morning. It was so exciting. And we'd love for you guys to think and pray about looking to him if you've never done that before. But if you're a follower of Jesus, can we just approach the God of details? Can we approach the God of compassion, of mercy, of healing, of grace? Let's just close in prayer together. Let's just come come near to Jesus. Please don't tune me out. Just just come with me to Jesus now. Can we bring them the messes? Can we bring them our stuff? Can we bring them the pain? Can we bring them the rejection or the hurt or the financial struggle? Can we bring them the sickness? Can we bring them the pain of the loss of a loved one? Can we bring them, maybe the deep sin issue you we're wrestling with, and just say, Lord, here, here it is, I'm coming to you, God. You're inviting me deeper, you're inviting me closer, you're a risen savior, would you help me? Would you take a minute and do that? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to think and pray about putting your trust in him tonight. Maybe you just wanna begin a conversation with God, just say something like this, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for wanting A relationship with me god tonight i heard that there's this whole plan that's been in place prophesied fulfilled the salvation of mankind thank you for what you've done jesus show me who you are forgive me for my sin and rescue me in your name i pray amen